he went on a day of appointments with me. He, he looks at me at the end of the day and he's like, you don't suck. Do you know what your problem is? And I was like, no. And he said, you don't ask for the business. You go and you have these great meetings and you don't close. Thank you for listening. This is Brett Trainer, your host for Hardwired for Growth, a podcast where we strive to help entrepreneurs and business owners not only grow their businesses, but scale them. We do this by having conversations with industry experts and the entrepreneurs who have successfully scaled their own businesses. Statistics show that only 5% of all startups ever achieve annual revenue of a million dollars and less than 1% reach 10 million. Our mission is to help more than double the number of companies that reach each of those thresholds. The voice you heard a moment ago is that of Nikki Perchek. Nikki is the CEO and founder of the NLP Group, a boutique executive search firm. Nikki started her career in sales before launching her own executive search firm. Nikki felt there was a gap in the way the traditional search firms operated, and she felt she could provide a higher level of service. Ten years later, and the firm has grown from herself to a well-oiled machine of nine plus people. This episode is the second of what we're calling our success series, where we will focus on entrepreneurs who have successfully scaled their own businesses. They will tell their story in their own words and share what worked and what didn't work. And I think one of the key takeaways to understand is each of the entrepreneurs that we will feature on this series had a clear vision and objectives for what they wanted their companies to be. Not all are the same, but their goals and what they're striving towards, you know, aligned. In today's conversation, we discuss Nikki's journey from payroll services sales rep to the founder and CEO of a very successful executive search firm. Questions we answer are, the greatest advice she received was in her first job and she carried those lessons today. Why sales is a life skill and how to apply that in your startup. Why it is important when she was expanding her business to hire people that aligned with her mission. Why turning away business was one of the smartest decisions she made early on. How bringing on an operations-focused hire was critical to the ability to scale. Why the power of Nikki's network was foundational in her initial success. And plus, much, much more. Now, on to the intro. Welcome back. You're listening to Hardwired for Growth a podcast dedicated to helping entrepreneurs and business owners who are looking for sustainable and scalable growth strategies, led by your host, Brett Trainer. Hi, Nikki. Welcome to the show. Hey, Brad. How are you? I'm doing well, and and thank you. I've definitely been excited about this episode. Uh, Thanks for having me. Anytime. Looking forward to uh, kind of digging into your journey. So the one thing I like to do to kind of start off the podcast versus maybe the traditional bio is, you know, if you're at a cocktail party, assuming you still go to cocktail parties, I don't go to that many, but you know, plenty, plenty, uh, kind of, you know, how do you introduce yourself? What do you do? And, and what, really, what does your company do? So if someone asks me, what do I do? Really, the long and the short of it is I'm an executive recruiter. I started an executive search firm 11 and a half years ago. And what we do is work with companies. We're hired to help them with specific hiring needs they have. So we help them find the right talent for specific positions by going out to the market, finding people who align with what they're looking for, interview, vet candidates, present them, and then 
really just hold hands throughout the interview process, helping companies recruit those people into their organizations. Awesome. And just to help us, um, we're going to come back to your, your current state before we get into your journey, but to help the audience, just give us, uh, you know, the size of the company, uh, number of employees that you're, you're currently at, just to help us out. Absolutely. So we have seven executive recruiters, a couple recruiting coordinators, and an intern. We tend to have an intern every summer. Sadly, this is her last week with us for this year, but uh, um, that's the size of the business. That's awesome. Because I remember, you know, we've known each other for a while now and you are uh, a one man army. And, and that's really the reason I wanted to get you on the show today is, you know, to help share kind of your journey from, I know you spent what, 10 plus years in the corporate world before transitioning yeah. to, yeah. you know, the entrepreneurial world. So basically with that being said, knowing you haven't always been an entrepreneur, what was kind of the tipping point that, that led you to starting your own company? Sure. Absolutely. So I had had my second child and I knew quite honestly when I had my first that I wanted to go back to work. I think being a stay-at-home parent is the toughest job in the world. Have all the respect for people who stay home, but for me I knew I'd be a better mom if I went back to work. And I really wanted to have a career where I had much more control over my hours and just how I worked, where I worked, when I worked. And so that's really why I decided to do my own thing and um, ended up getting into the world of executive search. Does that answer your question? It does. And, and maybe help us, were you a recruiter in the executive search space before starting your own company? Or you know, what was kind of the genesis of the idea? That's, I mean, I completely understand from the you know, controlling your own hours and it's the perfect uh, business for that. But you know, how, how did you land on that business idea? Absolutely. So I started my career, and you alluded to this a few minutes ago, I started my career, I spent the first 10 years with a company, ADP, Automatic Data Processing, helped companies um, by selling payroll HR benefits administration solutions, and was so fortunate to really develop this just exceptional, extensive network of really impressive contacts. And for those of you who no ADP. And for those of you who don't, it is one of the most amazing sales training organizations in probably the world. I mean, just the foundational sales experience I got was beyond. And so when I was, again, in that position where I had had a second baby and I was really trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to do? How I got into search, one of my best friends who I lived with for six years after college was a recruiter. And so I'd hear her do her phone calls and was always impressed, but always felt like, gosh, I'd be really good at that. Because naturally, and, and a lot of people do this, Brett, naturally I was networking all day, every day in my corporate job. So it was not atypical for me to have a meeting. And I spent the bulk of my career in what's called national account selling to fortune 2000 companies. So I would be meeting with, let's say, a head of HR for a Fortune 500 company. And that person might say to me, hey, Nick, our head of payroll isn't coming back from maternity leave. Is, is there anyone you know who might be a good fit? Or I might meet with, let's say, the head of IT, and the CIO might say to me, hey, Nikki, we need someone who can implement 
the solution you're selling us? Do you know someone? So naturally, throughout the course of my 10 years at ADP, I was constantly making those connections. And it was just a natural part of the job. And so when I was, again, in that position, fast forward to where I was thinking about, okay, what can I do? I know or I knew I had this incredible network of just really impressive um, executives, many of them in the HR field, and knowing those HR executives make decisions about who they would use from a recruiting perspective, I thought, gosh, maybe this is something I could do because I could do it from home. I could control my schedule. And at the time, I honestly thought I could do it part-time. I learned about two days in that there's no way to do this position part-time, but I thought I could. And so I started interviewing both business owners who owned executive search firms, people who went and did it on their own, people who worked for companies and did it in-house, so to speak, to really kind of decide what I wanted to do. And ultimately, I decided to start my own search firm simply because, and and honestly, maybe it was the hormones, I don't know, after having a baby, I just didn't think too much about it. I really knew I was a successful salesperson and I could do anything. And worst case scenario, if it didn't work out, I'd go find a sales job. I knew I could always land on my feet. There was just no doubt that I'd figure it out. And that's kind of how it all started. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And I think you're right. I think sales is a, a life skill, right? Why they don't teach this in certain in colleges as a curriculum. I know some are starting to offer sales Absolutely. as a as a, you know, an elective. And in some cases, I don't think there's a major yet in sales, but you know, life, even recruiting is you're selling, right? Either you're selling yourself or you're selling other folks or selling the company you're recruiting for, you know, it's just a a great, a great foundation. So. Yeah. And you know, what's so interesting, Brett, so many recruiters don't think of themselves as salespeople and actually take pride in that. And it's surprising because you hit the nail on the head. This is all sales. You're just not selling a product or a service. You're selling people and companies. Exactly. hundred percent. Interesting. Yeah, no, that, that's, it makes a lot of sense because I was trying to piece it together. I'm like, how did she make the jump? But you're right. The network and, and thinking about when I've used, you know, I haven't used a ton of, you know, executive search firms, but you're going to tend to gravitate towards the folks you know, or you have a relationship versus, you know, looking in what would be the yellow pages of the internet or doing a search for firms, right? It's all about that, that network. So yeah. And, and to, to jump on that, Brett, one of the things that I always knew when I spent those 10 years of my career in sales, I was called on by lots of recruiters. And one of the things I talk about is, I, and I certainly know not every recruiter on the planet reached out to me, and I certainly didn't engage with every recruiter who did, but once in a while I would, right? And I was never impressed. I never had a great experience. I always felt like every recruiter who reached out to me, it was very transactional, very um, sort of meat markety. It felt like within two minutes of speaking, realizing I had a pulse, could formulate a complete sentence. Those were really the two hurdles right. required to catapult me to perfect candidate status. And then everybody wanted to flip a resume. And yet no one really took the time to not only get to know me and see like, hey, does this position even align with Nikki? Like, is this what Nikki wants to do? Is this where she wants to take her career? Does this make sense for her personally, professionally, short-term, long-term? But also, do I align with the company? Common sense told me, aren't there some boxes you need to check as a recruiter 
to make sure I align. And nobody seemed to do that. Now, again, I realized there's plenty of good ones out there. I just didn't have the privilege of working with them. And it seemed like a lot of my friends had similar experiences to me. I also knew from the hiring manager side that there was a lot of similarities. People felt like it was really meat markety. People felt as though the recruiters assigned to them were just throwing as many resumes you know, over the fence as they could to see what would stick. And nobody seemed to be really doing their work. I would hear about this through hiring managers all the time. So I always felt like this was one of the reasons I felt as though I could do this better because my focus on customer service and my focus on sales fundamentals, I just knew, again, there were plenty of good ones out there. I hadn't run into them. So there was a gap in the market and certainly a need to fill that and, and kind of decided, go for it. See yeah. what happens. No. And that makes, it makes a lot of sense. And you answered one of my, <laughs> my next questions, which, you know, where was the, the, the problem in the marketplace? And it sounds like it was, and I agree with you, the vast majority of the recruiters that I've worked with in my career is if you can't help me today, you're no good to me versus man, maybe you may not be able to help me today in this, this search, but maybe that you could fill something down the road. So I am going to build this relationship that, you know, potentially down versus looking to, I think you, you mentioned it being very transparent transactional and you know the, the fact that you were perceptive enough to to pick up on that and kind of build your business or at least your business plan around the service aspect you know is kind of you know ahead of your time if you will as we're now starting to understand the full value of that customer experience and customer right. relationship and customer service you know you started this this 10 years ago Say when I'm giving my overview to anyone I'm talking to, whether it's a uh, professional or a quote-unquote prospective client, I always say, look, I, I didn't do anything brilliant. I didn't cure cancer. What I did, what I built is really based on two pretty simple things. One is common sense, which again, you know, I think it's not so common a lot of the time. Yeah. Some of the fundamentals seem to be lacking and really built it based on experience, right? My own personal experience. And then as we've added people to the team, honing and refining that experience based on the lessons learned through either prior roles or through being in this position as a recruiter and, and what we learn as we continue to grow and expand. But, you know, one of the things I do want to just clarify, because I do think there's a lot of people out there who have frustration with recruiters and, and don't necessarily truly understand how we work because I think there are a lot of people, Brett, who want us to want to talk to them and get that feeling, sort of what you described, where if you're not good for us today, we don't have time for you. And the, the conundrum that recruiters are in is we are an extension of a company's business. The company hires us, right? And so when a company hires us to help them find, let's say, a head of marketing, we need to be spending our time on finding that head of marketing. Or a lot of times we don't get paid. We don't make money. And if we work on this side as a third-party partner, we don't have base salaries. And so what can happen is someone like me, I get 10 to 20 people reaching out to me a day. Hey, Nick, I'm in the market. want to see if you can help me with my search. And the problem is we can't do that because 
then we're not spending time focused on finding that head of marketing. Right. right? Yep. And so we're in this pickle and I always feel so torn because if I could help everybody, I would, but then I wouldn't have clients right? <laughs> because companies would be like, yeah, great that you're helping other people, but you actually committed to us to help us find a head of marketing. So I don't care what you do on your free time, but you need to spend all of your working time doing what you said you'd do for us. Otherwise we're going to find another search firm. So it's this weird conundrum we're in and, and hopefully that helps some of your audience understand that recruiters don't necessarily mean to be rude. If we're like, Hey, listen, we don't have a search right now. We'll let you know if, and when we do. And at that point we'll schedule a call with you. It's just really hard. Imagine in your day job, if 20 people were reaching out to you asking if they could get an hour of your time to pick your brain. Yeah, and by the way, when someone asks for 10 minutes, it's never 10 minutes, right? <laughs> A hundred percent agreed. And, you know, I think that's a, a great clarification. And, you know, I guess where my frustration isn't where out of the goodness of your heart, you're going to spend some time to help me with my search. It's when you're active with the recruiter in the search, they go a different direction than you never ah, from them. Very, yes. My frustration than the me proactively reaching out to somebody for help. So absolutely. Absolutely. And I certainly want to make sure everybody knows I, make my fair share of mistakes and I am not perfect. So I have dropped the ball more times than I care to admit and have learned and, and, you know, do my best every day as, as our whole team does every day to improve. And our philosophy is we have to earn your business every single day. We can't rest on our laurels. hundred percent agreed. And you know, this is probably a good transition is one thing that, you know, I, I talk about a lot is, you know, you go from a side hustle, which you obviously made the, the decision you were going in. So give the audience a little bit, you know, of the early days. You, you said, all right, I think recruiting, executive recruiting or executive search is the path I want to take. I've got these relationships. You know, how did you get your first couple of customers? Great talk about question. The really early days of when you were just getting started, just starting to get that traction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so very early on, what I decided to do was leverage not only my network, but my husband's network. And I was really fortunate in that, as I mentioned, my network was just incredibly warm and receptive to what I was doing. And even though I had sort of been away from corporate America for a few years. It was like no time had passed and people were so excited. And my husband's network, very fortunate. Uh, one of the benefits of marrying someone a little older than me is, is his friends were in high places. And back in those days in 08, a lot of startups and digital media, many of his friends were CEOs and chief revenue officers. And so I was really lucky right out of the gate, many people were willing to give me a chance and one of the nice things about recruiting is if you are doing a contingency-based search, so for anyone who doesn't know, there's two types of searches, retained and contingency. Contingency, a company basically doesn't pay the search firm unless it's the search firm's candidate that's hired. So not in, in retained, they're paying really an entire fee sort of uh, spread out over a certain amount of time. Normally, it's paid in thirds. But at, at being new, I was not remotely interested in trying to get a retained search. I knew I needed to build up a reputation. And doing contingency, many people realized there was really no risk. 
these folks knew my customer service orientation. They knew me. They had worked with me. They know how I articulate things, how I have an attention to detail. And so there was no concern as to whether or not I was going to do anything to remotely damage them or their brand in the marketplace. So I was really fortunate, Brett, to have a number of opportunities given to me very early on. And based on doing good work, it started to just snowball. And this is very much a referral-based business. And I'm, I'm really proud to say a vast majority of our business to date all comes through referrals. Rarely are we out hunting for new business. And so um, it really stems from doing good work. And when you do good work, you get more work. And so that's how I was able to build it. In the first couple years, I worked literally 80 to 100 hour weeks. I worked all the time. I was up till two in the morning, back up at six. I worked nonstop and I was really fueled by, I think, adrenaline, a fear of failure. I just, I'm, I don't know how to fail. So I am going to work my way through it. And as a salesperson, I knew, okay, you need to build a pipeline, right? You're not going to close every deal. And so in order to really get things going, you've just got to work harder than everybody else and work better. And again, build that customer service reputation so that companies did see the difference. And right out of the gate, our competitive advantage, or at that time mine, my competitive difference was really we used retained search practices regardless of whether or not we did a contingency or retained search, meaning the amount of time we spent with candidates truly vetting them far surpassed what other contingency-based search firms were doing. The amount of time we spent getting to know our clients, the hiring managers, not just reading a job spec, but really understanding what why does this job exist? Beyond the job spec, what's important? What type of personality? What type of culture do you have? All of those things were so important because they helped us then do a better job of vetting candidates. So those early days, tons of hours, staying committed to the vision. And truth be told, I didn't think I was going to grow a company. I just wanted to be successful. Right. And and Brett, I don't know if you remember, but 08, market crashed, right? Like a couple months in, the sky started falling. And, you know, my husband, Ronnie, started a company at the same time. So here both of us weren't collecting salaries and all of a sudden savings and everything is getting cut in half and, oh, my gosh, panic. So there was just no time for me to stop and sit. I, right. I knew I could make money sooner and I needed to just make it happen. And I did. Yeah. And I, th I think the the great learnings from that is it, it can apply to any of the businesses, not just, a you know, in this case, a services based business, but, you know, getting to know your customers, understanding, you know, your contingency was the proof of concept that said, Hey, right. contingency, we deliver, we got more business, you know, we can start to scale this spending time to understand your customer. I don't think a lot of companies do that. And so right. as they're getting through, you know, what I'll 
kind of outline is, and you and I have talked before, is kind of the, in my experience, there's the, the five stages of growth that a startup could go through. Not everyone makes it, but, you know, kind of where you were getting started, right? So now you've got a proof of concept, we've got momentum, you know, what I'll label the next stage is the founder's capacity. So it's you and maybe you've got some part-time people helping you, but all of a sudden you reach that threshold where, yeah, I could tell another customer, but I'm not sure I can deliver. So vast majority of entrepreneurs and founders, I think, get stuck at that that stage. Yeah. You know, I want to come back to that in a second. And then, you know, the breaking through, right? There was yeah. a moment in time, there was inv- events or decisions that made that allowed you to break through that capacity, you know, then into the high velocity. So your, your growth is going, then eventually those high velocity companies will hit another flat line where they, they go flat. So, but I think for today, you know, as I kind of reference that 90% kind of gets stuck in that capacity mode and either through, you know, they get paralyzed or over analysis. They don't know what that next group <laughs> is to, to grow the business. And some people don't, they're just happy. You know, I'm making a nice living. I'm busy all the time. But in your case is, is definitely one of the reasons I wanted you on here is to share your story is you figured out, you know, how to go from that capacity to breaking through. And, you know, if you could, you know, spend some time kind of walking me through, I think you had mentioned there was two, kind of breaking and uh, call it tipping points mm-hmm. where you expanded. And then when your husband joined the business, it expanded again. So if you could take us back to the first, when you were thinking about hiring your first employee, you know, what was the thought process? Were you thinking, do I need to bring those people in? Do I need to bring recruiters in? You know, I, I know, like I said, a lot of entrepreneurs really are stuck in this space. So if you could take us back in time and, you know, kind of share what your experiences were and basically how you how you drove through that. Absolutely. So from a founder's capacity, you're 100% right. You you hit a point where you're sort of stuck, right? And for me, time is my commodity. And there's only so much streamlining and automating one can do without losing the competitive advantage, right? Or the competitive difference. So the amount of time I needed to spend with candidates, the amount of time I needed to spend with clients, I got better at figuring out how to cut certain things out, what to cut out. But at some point I I did fairly quickly. I was really, really, really lucky. I had more work than I could handle and I was turning away business. And my philosophy is as tough as it is to turn away business, it's worse to take on business. You can't give 110% to. I was an A student and straight A student, and I sort of operate the same way in a business setting. If I'm going to tie my name to something, it's got to be done exceptionally well. And so I quickly started running out of time, and there were only so many hours in the day, and I couldn't work really any more than I was working. And so I quickly brought on board actually someone who is a good friend of mine who uh, was also a stay-at-home mom looking to get back into the workforce, and I knew how talented she was, and we had been talking about her returning to work, and I had said, listen, what do you think about helping me with some of the searches I'm taking on. And and ideally it would help me not say no to as many opportunities. And so really, really fortunate that right out of the gate, she was an absolute gem. 
so lucky. So the two of us really were able to continue building NLP for a number of years. I also had some great interns. Um, and again, sort of using my network, uh, one of our babysitters was just oh. exceptional. She was one of those people who, like in high school, was running the daycare at our health club, at our Lifetime Fitness. She was managing women two and three times her age because she was just so good at working. And right. so she helped tremendously. So very early on, I got lucky hiring a couple people or, or bringing on board a number of people who were super supportive. And that enabled me to continue to grow. But again, hit that second tipping point where... Well, can I stop you there, Nikki, before yeah. you go too far? So I just want to pause for a second because I know one of the big hangups at that earlier stage is when yeah. you bring somebody on is that person's not going to either do it your way or do it as well as you do it. <laughs> so were there any... You know, I don't want to maybe not documenting the processes, but did you kind of outline or share your process or your approach or your expectations? I know this sounds like this was a good friend, but I've, I've seen yeah, people bring yeah. friends on and they weren't on the same page. So, was there anything totally. that you did early on to help keep that alignment with what you were driving when it was yourself? Such a great question, and it truly is such a challenge. You're 100% right. So being that type of personality where really I did expect someone to do uh, as well as I did, I didn't I – I was lucky, again, going back to my training at ADP, I was very lucky to learn, look, there's not just one way to do something, but it's got to be consistent, right? You don't have to say exactly what we say with our words, but w your message needs to be the same. So similarly with these, you know, additions to NLP, I was very fortunate in that I was able to communicate, hey, here's how I do things. And before I brought Jennifer on, before I brought anyone on, um, Kelly or anyone else, really have those people sit with me watch me do what I do, listen for a couple days okay. and see how I do what I do from a documentation perspective. So those early days, I didn't really have a step one, here's what you do, step two, but through shadowing and then having documents. So for example, a candidate presentation or a questionnaire to a company before launching a search, here's the, here are the things I asked this company, here are the things I asked this company when I started working with them and then when I launched this search. So there were a lot of documents that could be tweaked but used again or sort of emulated, copied to make sure that people were consistent with the branding, the messaging, the style. And again, I was really lucky because uh, very early on, I was able to find people who had that same dedication to excellence and quality of work. Yeah, which I think is, is, is great feedback. And if you can find that early in your journey, that's going to make that transition from, you know, founder to, you know, breaking through that much 
that much easier. And I think where you were going next is there was that next point when you actually brought your husband on the business from an operations yeah. standpoint. So it's easy. I don't say it's easy. It's not fair. <laughs> it's yeah. easier when you can shadow and you know the quality of the person, you've got a relationship to bring them in that they can, you know, they'll probably never match your enthusiasm or commitment to the business, but, but close, but now right. you're going to go from two or three to, you know, nine, that's, that's different, right? You, you don't have time to listen to everybody. So maybe fast forward, uh, when was the next round of growth? Four years ago, three years ago? So like five years ago, five years. Okay. um, yeah, between four and five, because there was a bit of a transition. So as I had mentioned, Ronnie had started his own company at the same time as I did. His company was a marketing services company where he went out, raised money and had a board of directors and all that kind of good stuff. And, and he was getting to a point where he needed to raise another round of funding. And, and at some point we had started talking about, look, I'm, I'm again at that tipping point, right? Right. We didn't call it founder's capacity, but I have no more time. I have no more bandwidth. I can't manage people and manage my clients. And, and I didn't want to move away from what I loved, which was the candidates, the clients, the interaction, the interviewing, um, you know, we get to make a huge difference in right. people's lives and, and companies, their most important asset is their people. Every company starts and ends with people. So I didn't want to add more people myself and end up having to just manage people. I wanted to be able to continue to recruit. And so we had talked about if Ronnie got to a point where he needed to raise more money, maybe we should seriously consider selling the business and having him join me because he had always managed large teams and, and was great at hiring. And he certainly knew my approach, my style, my philosophy, all that good stuff. So we ended up making that decision and it was about five years ago. And so as he was winding down his business and slowly coming on board to mine, we happened to be in a really incredibly lucky position that one of my clients who is now one of my colleagues, Michael Rabin, he was my client for a number of years and I helped him hire uh, about 14 people and, and we became quick, quickly fast friends. And Mike is just this exceptional sales person, sales leader, loved him, knew his style was phenomenal. And at the time Ronnie was starting to wind his business down, join me, Mike's company sold his division. And he and his wife were moving and there was just a lot of transition in his world. And, and he was on a plane all the time. And I would constantly joke with him, although I was serious, but I would say, Mike, just join me. Come on. You'd be yeah. great. You're so good at hiring. Come on. You'd be great. And one day my phone rang and he's like, Nick, are, are you kidding? Or are you kind of serious when you say that? Because if you're kind of serious, I really want to talk to you. And I was like, you know, OMG, you need to, you need to talk to me. And so we were really fortunate that he ended up joining NLP and he is phenomenal. And again, knowing how important it is for me that someone commit to excellence and have a certain caliber of um, dedication and approach and all of those things, I knew I could trust him with the NLP brand. Yeah. It's my I, baby. 
but I knew he was going to be great. And not once have I ever looked back. He's phenomenal. So brought him on board and then concurrently started looking at bringing on board some more people. And from a, um, part-time perspective, Ronnie was able to really help bring on board recruiting coordinators and manage those folks. And so Ronnie does split his time. He does a lot of operations, but he truly does love recruiting. I mean, he's a superhero. So he is great at creating training manuals, building uh, decks, automating. And so invoicing and just everything and he thinks he's he's a lawyer at times so he's able to review contracts and and certainly gets our legal counsel involved whenever we need but he's good at all of that he's great at all of that so we were able to bring on some part-time and continue to slowly add full-time which which is great and there's so much to kind of unpack there that I want to go back. One, I think having the supportive partner, either working with you side by side in the business or know you're working on the business. I know that can derail, you know, some, some startup companies. So the fact that you guys were able to one support each other as you started, but then combine forces, I think is fantastic. And the other piece or the, the, the other insight that I wanted to uh, make sure I highlight was the fact, even though you didn't specifically call it out, that you were bringing people that shared your culture and your commitment, you did. Yeah. And I think that's a mistake a lot of startups make where they go, oh man, this person can really do the job. I'm going to bring him on. But the fact is there's probably a lot of people that could have done the job you were looking for them, but they didn't share that passion or that commitment. And you know that tends to derail growth as well. So I think, you know, as a lesson to, to folks that are starting down that path, you know, don't settle, I think is the advice that I'm hearing totally. coming from you. And totally. then the last, the last piece, I know that was quite a bit of information in, in, in the positive is, you know, you got to the point and you found that person that could operationalize kind of your vision, right? I don't envision yep. you the one that's creating training manuals and, you know, payroll processes <laughs> and, and, and not in a bad sense. You just got to know where your strengths are and make sure you've got folks, especially as, you know, you went from the two and three to, to even five to nine, right? That's just, there's, there's just operating processes that have to be defined and in place. And if they're not, every month, every week, you're scrambling in order to try just to figure out how do we get the payroll in and is it accurate? And, you know, putting that time up front and finding the person that's willing to, like I said, operationalize the business at this stage is, is critical. And so whether you did that intentionally or uh, it just, you know, found it the perfect counterpart for, for the business, um, I think is a great lesson to, to folks that are, that are heading into this, this, uh, this stage. Yeah, and I think, Brett, you bring up some some really good points. I mean, first of all, to be clear, we've made our share of mistakes. We are not perfect. We've had some mismatches for sure. So it hasn't been a home run every single time. And, And some of that really was our fault. And I take full ownership of it because not everybody is a salesperson. Not everybody wants to work as hard as you need to to be successful 
in this business. Not everybody can deal with the ups and downs of this business. You're dealing with people. You're dealing with a lot of things you can't control. And so we've, we've certainly made our mistakes. I definitely don't recommend for every couple that you work with your spouse <laughs> because that is certainly challenging. We have managed to do a great job. I've only fired him a couple times. Um, <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. But yeah. he's, he's great. And, and, you know, we figured out very quickly, he was going to work from the corporate office. I'd work from home. I'd go into the office as needed. And we have team meetings a lot. And so I definitely show my face, but having that separation, having different clients, all of that is super important. He has his way of doing things. And again, I'm a big proponent of you don't have to do things my way per se, as long as we stay consistent and we right. don't lose quality. Right. So it, it, it is important though, again, to just you know, recognize there's bumps. And I think many of us have seen that picture of what success looks like. And there's a lot of ups and downs and twists and turns. It's not a straight line up. Sure. And, you know, and I know we're starting to run a little short on time, but I do want to go back to, you said where it's not, it wasn't all perfect in the hires and maybe just take us through, you know, maybe I don't want to call it a bad fire. Maybe it wasn't the right fit. Right. Did you act quickly to correct it or do you wish, is there something in hindsight that you would have done differently? And, and where I'm trying to get to is, you know, sometimes if you make a bad hire, folks are really bad at addressing it. Right. Festers for too long and just kind of curious how once you realize that it wasn't the right fit, you know, how did you guys approach that? Yeah, I think, again, we've been, um, I, I feel like I've used this word a couple times, but lucky. We haven't had any bad hires, per se. Okay. We've been very lucky, and I think that's because we have a pretty thorough interview process ourselves, and we kind of listen to what we preach, right? We practice right. what we preach. But it's very hard for people to go from everybody we've brought on as a recruiter is stepping away from big careers where they've made a ton of money, they make significant base salaries, significant upside in commissions. And some of those people, I think you don't know what you don't know till you right. get there. And sometimes we can't predict how long it'll take to make a first hire. We can't predict how long it'll take to build your business completely. And not earning a base salary, being 100% commission is not for everybody. And sometimes you think you can deal with it and you can't. Right. right. And so I think sometimes it's just a mismatch and no matter how hard and we've, we've certainly learned to do a better job of this, no matter how hard we've tried to articulate the good, bad and the ugly, <laughs> some people just don't necessarily fully grasp it until they're in it. And listen, these are sought after executives who are getting phone calls from recruiters while they're being a recruiter. And some of them have said, I can't pass up going back to $150,000 or $200,000 base salary. And, and I can't blame them. Right? right. So again, we've been very lucky to not make bad hires that are damaging to the business, but it happens sure. at every company. So knock on wood, you know, we've managed to be okay thus far. We, we try really hard to be thorough, but God willing, if it, and when it does happen, we will make those decisions quickly because you're right. One of the challenges many businesses face is waiting too long. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's a, a good point. I mean, we've you've made 
and left a lot of very valuable, you know, information, especially sharing your journey. So I, I appreciate that. Now, what I do want to do is kind of close with what we call our rapid fire Oh, fun. session where I'm going to ask you three or 3.5 questions. So the audience gets a chance to know you a little bit. I mean, I think obviously through this process, they've earned or learned, you know, a little bit about you and understand the personality. But, uh, so when you're ready, I'm going to, I'll, I'll fire. Away. I'm ready. Bring it on. All right. So the first one is what is an experience that really helps shape who you are today? From a professional ex- experience perspective, I would say when I was, First year in sales with ADP, I was struggling. I was not closing business. I was doing such a bad job, and I was convinced I wasn't a good salesperson, and I honestly was interviewing. And uh, I got a new manager who is still to this day one of the people I admire the most and will say was one of my best managers. And when he went on a day of appointments with me, he, he looks at me at the end of the day and he's like, you don't suck. Do you know what your problem is? And I was like, no. And he said, you don't ask for the business. You go and you have these great meetings and you don't close. And he proceeded to ask me, you know, do people know that you're here to talk about their payroll HR? Do you tell them that? Yep. So they know you're coming to talk about ADP. Yep they gave you the right task for their business when they gave you the meeting and something just clicked. And from then on out, I was one of the top salespeople pretty much every year. I mean, I just, something snapped and I was able to turn it around. Yeah. And and I think, you know, back to our sales is a life skill. I think that's so true. And if you approach it, I think the way he was asking you to approach is look, there's a, there's a price for the value that we're providing, right? Exactly. It's not like you're just charging them and then walking away. There's value to to what you do. And I think some people never really quite, quite understand that. So, and that's the key to sales. You're so right. It's look, people pay for your knowledge. People pay for whatever it is that you're doing, your solution, and you have to see it that way. Otherwise, you can never really be successful at selling it. So you're right. Right, right, right. So that's excellent. All right. So number two is actually a two-part question. So what is your favorite book and what is one of the things you would highly recommend? And that could be anything from personal practice to health, whatever uh, strikes you. Okay, so from a favorite book, I would say, if I'm thinking professional, I would say Sacred Hoops by Phil Jackson, who was the coach of the um, Bulls back in the Michael Jordan era when they were uh, just on top of their game. Um, And it's all about his approach to management and leadership, and it just really helped open my eyes. I read it when I was in my 20s and it was just one of those phenomenal books that I've gone back to numerous times. And I think on the like no-brainer side, and no offense to this author because you do have brains when you read his book, but (laughs) anything Nelson DeMel, I think um, Gold Coast was probably my favorite book, but just one of those books that I couldn't put down. Fabulous. Awesome. And there's so many more. I love to read. So, so many more. And you still have fine time to read, which is, which is fantastic kids, your own company. But yet I I do think it's important to continue to read both. You have to, you have to find, and this is actually a great segue into, you know, what do you, 
recommend or the question you had asked, um, to me, I think it's always find time for yourself. You have to decompress. And I'm really bad at flipping the switch and turning work off because my job is inherently 24-7, 365. But um, I'm all about workout every single day. It's an appointment I rarely miss. Try and read at night, even if it's just 20 minutes as I'm getting ready for bed. But just something to to take yourself away and then, you know, of course, spend time with your family because that's the most important thing. So definitely always make time for them. Awesome. And last call, if you could only have one more beverage, you don't know if this will be your last beverage, but it could be your last beverage. What would it be? Oh my gosh, that is such a good question. I mean, if if I'm dying, if I'm not going to wake up and take care of kids, I'm going for, gosh, maybe a bottle of Sauvignon Blanc probably, or some sort of vodka drink. Um, if I'm actually lucky enough to not make it my last, I'm really kind of boring in a way. I gave up soda years ago and I'm all about, um, seltzer water with like fresh lemon and lime. And I'll put, cucumber in there or a piece of ginger uh so something refreshing like that i think that's more than fair and you can what about you come on (laughs) if it's your last beverage what are you gonna have you know one of the one of the best answers i heard on this not that yours wasn't because i like your i like the way you think because i'd be thinking about that way too if i'm not waking up and this is my last beverage it's probably yeah game on you know a good glass or a bottle of wine um forget the glass go with the bottle right go Um, with the bottle and who needs a glass at that point tell you coffee would be up there oh, <laughs> as I'm with boring you. as that is um yeah you know, like i said i heard milkshake was one which i could yum with but yeah it's uh it's a fun question so definitely. i love it i love it i love the rapid fire that's great any final questions brett before that's what i was gonna ask you you were doing the clothes for me <laughs> anything wow. else you wanted to touch on before we wrap this up this was you know incredibly insightful and i appreciate the uh, the time that you had spent with us i think the the one thing that is just so important to highlight is is nothing beats hard work and it doesn't matter how cool your solution is. You have to work really, 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 really hard and be passionate about what it is that you're doing because I think that energy and enthusiasm carries you through when sometimes it is hard to work hard, right? Uh, and you start to hit those walls. Yeah, you have to. Passion is so cool because it's contagious, right? People will, wow, if somebody's this excited about it, maybe I need to be this excited about it. What am yeah. I missing? Absolutely. Absolutely. So just hard work and do the right things every day and good things will happen. And you have to visualize success. Okay. And that's all. I promise I won't continue. We may have to have you on here for part two and we can dig deeper into a couple of the topics, but love it. So, and I'm sure there's going to be some folks interested, but if anyone is interested in learning more about you and the work, do you work, where's the best place for people to find you? So www.thenlpgroup.net. And those are my initials. So N is in Nicole, L is in Lynn, P is in Perchick or Peter group.net. Well, Nikki, thank you so much for, for taking out your time out of the day for this. Um, thank you. I think it was incredibly insightful and you know, have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Brett. You've been listening to Hardwired for Growth. 
To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit brettrainer.com. That's B-R-E-T-T, followed by his last name, T-R-A-I-N-O-R.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.